Welcome to Breaking Brad, cooking up only the hottest of takes for you this evening. The New England Patriots wrapped up the first preseason game this year uh, against the New York Giants. They lost 23-21 to last night. Going to break that down for you. Uh, but first, before I get to that, um, I want to talk about the coaching situation and what the hell Bill Belichick is doing. I will get to Tyquan Thornton, his great performance, uh, you know, two catches, one touchdown, and some of the other things that I think we, we should be a little more optimistic about heading into the regular season, especially based on some of the reports that have come out over the last couple of weeks. But the big question on everyone's mind for New England Patriots fan, fans are, who is going to be the offensive coordinator? We kind of assumed that it was going to be Matt Patricia, but last night i'm not so sure that's what the outcome is going to be because basically what happened was the patriots sat most of their starters for the most part other than uh, the offensive line and maybe you know a receiver or two tyquan thornton maybe a starter we'll see uh brian hoyer got the start at qb and played the first quarter before bailey zappy came in um uh, whereas the giants actually started a lot of their players barkley played um, uh, Daniel Jones played, a lot of the other starters played, at least for a series or two early in the game. Um, and the Patriots performed fairly well, considering it was really second string versus first string. Um, and Matt Patricia was calling the plays. Matt Patricia, former defensive coordinator, uh, recently fired Detroit Lions head coach, came to, back to the Patriots last year as an assistant, worked with the offense, and was named the offensive line coach um, a few weeks ago, and is basically the play caller and the de facto coordinator we think. But Patricia called the plays while Brian Hoyer was out there throughout the first quarter and the first two series. And then suddenly we saw Joe Judge, the quarterback's coach, um, who was recently uh, the New York Giants head coach. He took over to call plays for the rest of the game. And, you know, it really makes you question, you know, what are they doing? They obviously lost Josh McDaniels in the offseason. And he you know, is going to leave a big hole there. And Bill Belichick is trying to figure out what he wants to do at the play calling position for the offense. And what we're seeing is essentially a competition, at least in my opinion. Otherwise, why would you have Joe Judge calling plays out there? Uh, you, you want to compare and contrast, I guess, and then you make a decision who's going to be the play caller down the road. That's a possibility. So it's basically a tryout for both. Um, in my opinion, I think it's going to be Matt Patricia. That seems to be the consensus. Um, an offensive coordinator who's never called plays in his life, but um, on the offensive side, he's done it on the defense plenty. Uh, but if, why would Joe Judge be calling plays? Especially because you know Matt Patricia doesn't have a ton of experience there. So you know some people think, well, maybe they're preparing Joe Judge to eventually be the play caller. Which would make sense if you were expecting Patricia to, you know, potentially be uh, uh, move on to another head coaching gig in a year or two. But Patricia doesn't have any experience there either. So why would you go back and forth unless it is a tryout? So very strange circumstances. Um, you know, I think a lot of this is Bill Belichick taking back control of his team. You know, especially the offense. Um, you know, they, they basically, the Patriots have had go-to offensive and defensive coordinators for almost two decades. And we saw recently um, the Patriots kind of went to a, you know, defense by committee plan uh, with Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo uh, being the play caller. Steve Belichick, the main play caller, while Mayo deals more with the personnel, play-to-play, play um, and, and, 
you know, Belichick has a little more control over the defense there. I think he could be doing the same thing for the offense. So basically Bill is saying, look, Josh McDaniels ran this thing for however many years. Dante Scarnecchio ran the offensive line for even longer. And Skarnicki is now retired. McDaniels is, has a head coaching stint now here with the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm going to take back control of the offense at age 70, which, you know, you would think your head coach slash GM who takes control of everything uh, would delegate a little more into the later years, but that doesn't seem to be the case for Belichick. I think Belichick is really wanting to take control of the offense and the defense, and we saw that last night against the Giants with Bailey Zappi. So Bailey Zappi was the, is a Western Kentucky quarterback, actually led college football in touchdowns last season, uh, was drafted by the Patriots to ultimately serve as the backup QB for Mac Jones. Very similar playing style to Mac Jones. Um, you know, he, he, he looks like he has Mac Jones's face and Jared Stidham's body. Um, but, you know, overall for a first appearance, I thought Bailey Zappi played fairly well last night. You know, he he was a little bit trigger happy. There were issues with the offensive line that, that you know, led into that. But overall, Zappi, I think, performed pretty well for a guy who's never appeared in a professional game in his life. Well, Bill Belichick was basically coaching him on the sidelines, not just between possessions, but between plays. And that's shocking because that was basically Josh McDaniel's job for however many years. It was you know, McDaniels glued to the side of the quarterback, coaching him. He did that with Mac Jones last year and did that with Cam Newton the year before and all those years with Tom Brady. Well, you know, Joe Judge obviously played a role there as the QB coach, but Bill Belichick has been far more hands-on with the offense than he has in years past, and that's what we were seeing um, yesterday. So, you know, now that he no longer has Josh McDaniels there and no longer has Dante Skarnecchia, Bill Belichick is really taking the reins of the offense, and he has... Matt Patricia, who has something to prove. He has Joe Judge, another ex-head coach, who has some, something to prove. So both of those guys are just going to say yes to whatever the hell Bill Belichick decides. And I think that's what's going on here. I think ultimately Patricia will be the offensive coordinator. You know, let me know in the comments, do you think Joe Judge will be the guy or maybe the guy down the road? Um, you know, doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense to kind of have a them both calling plays unless this actually is a tryout, but maybe it isn't. Maybe they're just planning for a contingency in case, you know, Matt Patricia has a family event or something that he can't be there for a game, so now you have Joe Judge calling the plays. Really don't know what's going on there. Uh, Bill Belichick was asked about that in his press conference after the game and basically gave the answer, uh, don't worry about that, we'll get that taken care of. It's a process. He used that word all over again. Process, process, process. We're in a process and it's been kind of a peculiar process because basically the Patriots in, in this training camp have taken more days off than they ever have before. And it's not particularly close. And now if, you know, for instance, after the Giants game, they're taking Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off before they practice again on Monday and the Carolina Panthers come to, come to town for joint practices on Tuesday. But for a team that has a new offensive coaching staff, completely new, a team that is developing a new offense. They're shifting from, you know, sort of this uh, uh, West Coast Tom Brady style offense to more of a Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan uh, uh, zone run, or, or some people call it the stretch offense. Um, they're shifting to that. Why would you be practicing less, especially with some of the issues we've been hearing about the offensive line? 
I really don't know. Maybe, you know, just because they're not having open practices doesn't mean that they're not being coached in some way. They're not having film sessions. They're not, you know, meeting for, you know, eight hours a day. But it does seem a little odd that they're not practicing out there um, like they have in years past. Now, in terms of the game plan against the New York Giants, there really was no game plan. And all of this new stuff that the Patriots are trying to implement with the zone run and, you know, the bootlegs and play actions that come off of that, they didn't run any of that stuff. Um, they basically ran the old school offense the entire game. So they're kind of keeping those tricks up, up up their sleeve for the time being. Um, maybe we'll see it unveiled a little bit against Carolina next week when, in all likelihood, Mac Jones will play. Uh, but Patriots played, you know, very old school, conservative style offense yesterday. And overall, they, they looked pretty good. I mean, the offensive line had their moments, but for the most part... Um, they did a good job at, at protecting Brian Hoyer and Bailey Zappi, especially down the, um, later in the game. Uh, and the receivers, you know, for all the crap that the Patriots get from the media about how awful their receiving core is and how much they're paying, and they're paying a lot of money for their receivers, don't get me wrong, they have a lot of depth there. And I think that's something that folks really aren't talking about because they don't really have a legitimate number one guy. It sounds like that guy's going to be Devontae Parker. But Devontae Parker, uh, you know, he can, he, he can stretch the field and be vertical. And what he's really great at is those 50-50 balls. He turns those into 80-20 balls. Uh, but in terms of creating separation, a struggle that the Patriots have had, not just historically, but really badly in the last two years, just players getting open and away from their defenders, Devontae Parker's not very good at that. So what we did see yesterday was probably the first receiver on the New England Patriots in a very long time, um, or at, you know, at the very least since Julian Edelman, that actually could create separation, and that's rookie Tyquan Thornton. Now, Thornton only had two catches, but one of them was a touchdown, and uh, the other was, you know, just a kind of a, a dink and dunk play. But Thornton, we saw in a number of plays, a number of throws downfield. You know, we know he's fast. He set the NFL combine record in the 40-yard dash. But it wasn't just that he was able to outrun the defensive backs. He was actually playing physical. Which is really surprising because the guy is six foot three, but is an absolute toothpick. I think he's like 170 pounds. He's like 40 pounds less than Devontae Parker, and they're both the exact same height. So it's really encouraging to see Tyquan Thornton, who surprised a lot of people how early he went in the draft. We were thinking, wow, great. This is Belichick drafting Nikhil Harry over Debo Samuel again. Doesn't seem to be the case because in one preseason game, Tyquan Thornton did more than Nikhil Harry did in what three or four years that he was with the team. So Thornton, you know, if you look look at his touchdown catch uh, yesterday, he was he was fighting. Uh, I believe there was a flag on the play, uh, a holding call. He fought through that and still managed to make a nice, you know, hands hands up catch, um, pushing through the defender, which really didn't have a lot to do with his speed, um, and he had a great jump. And he looks like that on every play. I really think Tyquan Thornton is going to be a contributor on day one. You know, a lot of people said, all right, we'll be lucky if we get, you know, 15, 20, 30 catches out of him this season. I think, you know, if he's able to stretch the field and then you have Devontae Parker, both of those guys are, you know, tall, hands ready, 50-50 ball type receivers. And then Thornton can stretch it a lot more than even Parker can. 
Tyquan Thornton is what we think he might be and what we saw based on one preseason game. I know it's early. Don't want to be too premature about this. That's a good receiving core because you have Jacoby Myers, which is basically just a small step down from Julian Edelman as a slot receiver. You have Nelson Aguilar, who was a bit disappointing last season, but you expect him to bounce back a little bit more, but a solid receiver nonetheless. Kendrick Bourne, pleasant surprise last year. I think they're going to use him in more of a Debo Samuel type role this year. Then Hunter Henry, great season at tight end last year, and Jonu Smith, um, who's paid like a great tight end. Was a bit mediocre last year, but he's having a strong training camp as far as we know. Expect him to bounce back similar to Aguilar. You have a lot of depth there. And then you look at some of the other receivers that played pretty well last night. Um, uh, Kendrick Wilkerson had a decent performance. Um, you know, we've seen this in the past, but Wilkerson, uh, he can stretch the field. He can outrun defensive backs. He made a few great plays yesterday. And then there's Trey Nixon. Trey Nixon was the uh, either the 6th or 7th round uh, receiver draft pick by the Patriots um, out of University of Central Florida. Really strong, physical guy. You know, doesn't have the gifts that you would see from a 1st, 2nd, 3rd round receiver. Uh, but he's fighting to make the roster. And as far as we saw yesterday, he did have a bad drop. But he made up for it for the rest of the game. And, you know, Bailey Zappi had a few deep throws that he underthrew. Trey Nixon made all the adjustments that he needed to make to backtrack, push the defender out of the way, and make those catches. He did that a number of times last night. So we're talking about a receiving core that, again, doesn't have a real super-duper star at the top there, but they got a lot of young talent. If Tyquan Thornton hits, then suddenly, wow, you have Parker, you have Myers, you have Aguilar, you have Bourne, you have Tyquan, and then maybe Trey Nixon, maybe Wilkerson. And we're talking about, you know, that's the, that's the bubble there. Most teams don't have seven or eight receivers on the roster. The Patriots might this year just because they have so much depth. But when you have receivers that are playing that well, competing just to make the team, that's a good sign. Even though you don't have that superstar out there, you know, how many superstars have the Patriots really had at receiver over the years? Tom Brady nearly made it to the Super Bowl in, what was it, 2005 with nothing. Absolutely nothing. Uh, was, it, was it like Jabbar Gaffney? There, there's certain players there that really weren't great. The Patriots know how to get the most out of their receivers. And if they have this kind of depth with above average and at least good, solid talent, they're going to surprise a lot of people on offense. Now, the offensive line has been the biggest issue during training camp. A lot of that has to do with the change to this more zone run style offense. Um, you know, the the it's based on a lot more communication between the offensive line, a lot less Mac Jones calling audibles before the play, um, which, you know, is a bit of a handicap in my opinion because that is what Mac Jones is great at. But they want to be a more explosive offense. And by, you know, running the, this sort of stretch offense, this zone run, um, these outside plays, what it's going to do is open up a lot of bootlegs, a lot of play actions, and it's going to make very easy uh, uh, reads for the quarterback out there, um, kind of like we see in San Francisco um, and Los Angeles with Sean McVay. So I, I think that's going to work out fairly well um, once the Patriots work out the kinks, which I would not have said a week ago uh, based on at least one preseason performance. However, the offensive line really is going to make the difference between whether this is a good team or a bad team. Um, Cole Strange looked a little, the, the first round pick by the Patriots, uh, left guard, um, looked pretty solid yesterday. We know uh, Yadnik Kajust is having 
a great training camp. He did end up getting injured. Isaiah Wynn was out because he got injured last week. Justin Harone also went down. So, you know, there's a lot of depth there in that O-line. They have a lot of guys who can step up. But they're still learning a new offense. And, you know, we're starting to see these injuries pile up before we even get into the regular season. That's going to be the real question mark. But overall, very happy with the receivers. I'm happy with the way Bailey Zappi looked for a rookie. Um, I thought Brian Hoyer looked great, too, um, as a backup. Really going to be great to have his presence there as he re-signed with the Patriots this offseason. And then the defense looked fairly strong as well. I mean, uh, again, not a lot of the starters played. Uh, but Anthony Jennings has having a fantastic training camp. He had a great game last night. Cam McGrone, everyone forgets about this guy. Everyone, you know, we, we remember what happened with Buffalo in the postseason where they just got blown out and they had no speed, they had no athleticism, and that's basically how they just, uh, the Bills never punted the entire game because they just ran a track meet against the Patriots defense. Cam McGrone at linebacker may be the one who makes up for that. Um, he could he could go down as one of the biggest surprises this season just because people have forgot about him. Basically, he played at Michigan a couple years ago. Um, one of the most talented linebackers in the draft, but he got hurt, um, missed all of last season. And the Patriots said, all right, we're going to sit him on the bench. We're going to draft him because we know there's a lot of value there when he gets healthy. That's what they did. And McGrone nearly had like three interceptions last night. He didn't have any. I know close only counts in hand grenades and horseshoes, but he was very close. He seemed to be involved in every play. This is a guy to watch. They also have a lot of outside rushers that really are going to help. I'm very encouraged by the defense so far, and they've been playing very well in training camp as well. A lot of it has to do with the offense making these adjustments, but for a first game, I know the Patriots lost 23-21, but it's preseason, doesn't matter. It was, you know, guys who aren't going to make the team playing in the second half, Um, but, you know, when we saw these guys out there in the first half, McGrone, Jennings, Really, really looking great. And something else to look at, the defensive back positions. Terrence Mitchell, um, who came over from the Houston Texans, uh, basically is replacing J.C. Jackson. Different player than J.C. Jackson. J.C. Jackson is more of a risk taker. That's why he gets all those um, interceptions. Uh, You know, I think he had, uh, what, 9 or 10 last season. Uh, He went to the the Los Angeles Chargers. Terrence Mitchell is more of a... um, defender uh, a lockdown shutdown defender i'm not going to get as many picks but we saw yesterday just the kind of performance that we can expect from him on a daily basis um, opposite jalen mills uh we also saw malcolm butler who looked a little rusty early which is to be expected basically taking a year off last season uh but butler definitely we know what he's capable of in the red zone um you know i'm, I'm a little worried he's going to give up chunk plays uh, but another guy to watch out for, uh, I think the Patriots' fourth-round draft pick. Is it fourth or fifth? I think it was fourth. Um, Jack Jones out of Arizona State. Not a very big guy, but he seemed to be there. Like Cam McGrown, he just seemed to be involved in nearly every play last night. Um, also kind of a shutdown defender similar to Terrence Mitchell. I think the Patriots, you know, again, not a lot of superstars out there, but a ton of depth at nearly every position offensive line defensive line now at defensive back um, we know the kind of safeties that they have um, with Devin McCourty still out there lots to be encouraged about uh, it's one game one preseason game we'll see how the Patriots perform when they ramp things up a little bit against the Carolina Panthers this week in training camp and then ultimately um, in Friday's preseason game at, uh, at Gillette um, against the Panthers uh, but look I feel a lot better than I did just five days ago 
and you know we're going to see the starters out there a little more and we'll get a better idea of just what this Patriots team will look like. Uh, moving on, uh, Kevin Durant uh, reportedly has the Celtics on his list of preferred destinations, and I guess it's a very short list. It's like Boston and Philly or something. Um, but we know, we found out last week, uh, or, or earlier this week, uh, that Kevin Durant met with uh, Joe Sy, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, and he basically gave him an ultimatum. He said, either you fire head coach Steve Nash and Sean Marks, the general manager, or I'm, I don't know what he said. I'm not playing. I don't know. But it's either them or it's me. You have to pick one. And Joe Sy basically approached uh, the, the, the Nets management and the coaching staff and said, hey, I'm on your side. I have your back, which is not a great look for Kevin Durant. But Durant is using the little bit of leverage he has to try to force that trade. And it sounds like he's really wanting to play for the Boston Celtics. And, you know, it's not too much of a surprise. Uh, you know, we saw in 2016, Durant uh, went to the Hamptons and, for a recruiting visit. And basically, the Celtics pitched Isaiah Thomas and Kelly Olenek um, instead of, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. They, those were the best players on the team at the time. So, you know, you can understand why Durant saw that meeting and went, okay, I'm going to go to Golden State and win a few titles. And he won an MVP there. And... Uh, you know, ultimately didn't like it because he wasn't the guy in Golden State. I'm not sure he's going to be the guy in Boston, but I think he would be the best player on the team. Um, you know, basically the Celtics offered Jalen Brown, Derek White, and a draft pick in exchange for Durant. The Nets said, no, we want Tatum and we want Brown in exchange for Durant, and they were laughed out of the room. But Durant just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing, and he wants to force this trade. And if they don't, I don't know what he's going to do. Is he going to hold out of the preseason and ultimately into the regular season? Is he just not going to play and embarrass the Nets like they were embarrassed all last season with you know the Kyrie Irving vaccine situation, with the James Harden trade for Ben Simmons, and Simmons never ended up playing even in the postseason? This is a franchise that just is completely collapsing based on bad decisions. And... They need to do something here because Durant is doing what he can to force their hand. And the longer the Brooklyn Nets wait, the more Kevin Durant's value is going to decline. So, honestly, is there a team that is offering a better deal than the Boston Celtics for Kevin Durant? I don't think so. So, if I were Brooklyn, and look, I'm a Celtics fan. I'm a little biased. I'd love to see Kevin Durant um, as long as the Celtics only lose one player between Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart and uh, Robert Williams. Celtics aren't going to trade more than one of those guys because otherwise Durant goes down. They're barely a playoff team. They need that young core in there. I'm for a Tatum for Durant trade. Most people aren't, but I don't think that's likely. But I think the Nets really have to take the best possible offer, and it seems to be Jalen Brown, Derek White, and a draft pick. If I were the Celtics, I'd say, look, we're going to help you save face here. We'll give you a couple first-round draft picks, you know, down the road. You know, we, we know we're going to be a good team this year, so we'll, we'll save you from having to get a first-round pick that's going to be 30th overall um, next season. We'll give you, like, 2029 and 2030. Um, but it's going to be the same offer, basically. Derek White, Jalen Brown, take the draft picks. It'll be an improvement from what we offered and what you turned down save face you're going to have a young star Jalen Brown to really build your team around you still have Kyrie you have Ben Simmons um, that's going to be a good team either way and Jalen uh, Jalen Brown's not going to miss as any as many games as Kevin Durant 
typically does. And Durant's recent injury history is not good. It really isn't. And that's part of the reason his value has declined along with, you know, some of the, the sideshows that he's created. And look, if Durant does go to Boston, it's not going to help with his reputation of constantly seeing the grass is greener on the other side or, you know, when he went to the Warriors and everyone said, if you can't beat him, join him. Well, he got swept <laughs> by the Celtics and then he's going to join them. Uh, but I just don't see any team being able to offer a better deal than what the Celtics are um, without completely blowing up their roster. Um, you know, maybe Miami, maybe Phoenix, maybe Toronto. I think Toronto has the best, um, they have the most amount of depth on their roster, um, pieces that they could trade for Durant. Uh, but isn't any match for what the Celtics offered with Jalen Brown? I don't think so. So, look, I, the longer this goes on, the more... Uh, the more easy it's going to be for the Celtics to be able to get Kevin Durant. And as time goes on, all signs are pointing to Boston. So we'll see. I, I'm I'm optimistic about it. Either way, I'm not going to be upset if they don't get Kevin Durant because the Celtics have a young team. I think Grant Williams is going to take a leap next year if Robert Williams stays healthy. He's basically young Bill Russell out there blocking shots and getting back to the other end. Like, a lot to be positive about. Um it's really the Celtics and Warriors and the Milwaukee Bucks and maybe the Miami Heat. Um, but Brooklyn Brooklyn needs to do something, and they need to get better on defense because they were just outplayed physically. And look, I, I do agree with Kevin Durant to a certain extent that uh, Sean Marks and Steve Nash are not the best fit for that organization. Um, Steve Nash was completely outcoached by Ime Udoka in the playoffs, and we know what Sean Marks did with the Ben Simmons trade. Not a great look. So we'll see what happens there. Um, you know, we're already in mid-August, so at some point, Brooklyn Nets have to do something, or they have to just say, no, Kevin, we're not trading you, and try to repair things, a la the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers. It worked out for them, but it's a risk, because Durant could just say, I'm not playing then. So we'll see. Uh, next story, New York Yankees outfielder Aaron Judge. Uh, he is... At 45 home runs right now, um, and, it, and I encourage you to check out this story, uh, breakingbrad.substack.com. Um, you know, I'm a Red Sox fan, so don't love talking about Yankee success, but when it comes to breaking, you know, the Balco records of Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, I love to see Aaron Judge do it. And Aaron Judge is, he's a likable guy. He just is. Um, and what we're seeing right now is he's on pace basically to break Roger Maris's record. So Roger Maris, back in 1961, hit 61 home runs. Um, Aaron Judge, 45 home runs as of right now. When I wrote this article, he was at 44. Uh, but he's on pace to hit about 65. Um, but what I'm really eyeing is Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds holds the record at 73 home runs. And... You know, I know people consider Roger Maris the legitimate record, but it's not really going to be exciting until someone actually cracks that 73 mark. And at this point in August, um, during the, the uh, Barry Bonds record season, he had about five home runs more than Aaron Judge currently has. So he's still within striking distance. And that's really exciting because if you look... At this point in the season, Barry Bonds only had six multi-home run games. Aaron Judge already has nine. So he has 50% more multi-home run games uh, than Bonds did at this point in the season. That's encouraging because Aaron Judge, if he stacks up a few more of those, 
he can really play catch up to Barry and maybe approach that 70 and potentially 73 mark in the record. Again, I would not bet on it. I mean, 73 home runs is ridiculous. He basically has to average a home run, two home runs like every three games the rest of the way. That's very difficult, but we still have some time left. We have a, we have a month and a half of the season, and, you know, uh, Bonds, 50 home runs right now. Aaron Judge was at 45. Aaron Judge also, unlike Bonds, if you take a look at the spray chart, he's not a pull hitter. You know, the majority of his home runs, he's still pulling, but... Aaron Judge basically just has to make hard contact with the ball and it's going out. And he plays in the second most hitters-friendly ballpark in the majors, Yankee Stadium. The first is obviously uh, Coors Field in Denver because the altitude, the air is so thin, it's much easier to hit home runs there. But the way Yankee Stadium is designed with the wind and the dimensions of the stadium, second easiest ballpark in the majors to hit home runs. Aaron Judge can continue to take advantage of that. He can continue to stack these multi-home run games. And... I'd love to see him take a crack at the record. Um, at least take a crack at Sandy, Sammy Sosa 66 or crack the 70 mark for Mark McGuire. But again, Aaron Judge gets hot late in the season. Suddenly we're looking at, you know, a neck and neck race between where Bonds was at and Aaron Judge. And look, hitters tend to get hotter in August and September because pitching staffs are fatigued, bullpens are fatigued, you know, it's been a long season. You know, there's a lot of teams fighting to get into the postseason. They're burning up their pitching. It's a lot easier to hit the ball out of the park than in the months of April and May, especially when it's cold. Aaron Judge is going to have that opportunity. And, you know, as long as they're not playing the Red Sox, I know they're playing the Red Sox tonight, but um, I'm rooting for it. I really would love to see him um, take a crack at Barry Bonds' record because, you know, back in 2001, it just felt dirty. It really did. We all knew steroids were happening then. 1998, you know, really the year I fell in love with baseball with McGuire and Sosa, we weren't really talking about steroids as much. But by 2001, when Barry Bonds set the record, you know, we knew about Balco. We knew about human growth hormone. And then when he set the all-time um, career home run record, it really felt disgusting when he beat Hank Aaron's record and... You know, I would love to see Aaron Judge go after that. I was frankly rooting for Albert Pujols to never retire because I thought he had a shot at it, but I don't think that's going to happen. Obviously, he's retiring at the end of this season unless he has a change in heart. But we'll see what Aaron Judge can do. Um, 45 home runs as of today, August 12th. Um, he continues to stack up some multi-home run games, gets a little hot down the road, especially at home games in Yankee Stadium. He could chase Bonds. I wouldn't bet on it, but, you know... He has a few good games at Fenway this weekend. Suddenly, we could see a real race uh, for the record. So last but not least, a story about uh, Tom Brady. Uh, Brady is going to take uh, nearly two weeks off from the team, uh, Tampa, uh, the Buccaneers training camp, uh, for personal reasons. Those reasons we do not know. Um, I think his last practice was on August 10th, August 11th. And the Buccaneers basically announced uh, Brady is going to be gone until at least August 20th, um, which would be match up to their second preseason game against the Tennessee Titans. And we don't have a lot of details about it, so I don't want to speculate too much. Um, I know, you know, Tom Brady's mother, he, Brady's a big family man, and his mother hasn't been doing well health-wise for a number of years now. So perhaps it has something to do with that. Uh, but, you know, what we've seen at least this offseason, is Tom Brady really is not satisfied in Tampa. You know, I, he's not happy to be there. Um, we know, at least at this point, that he was trying to work his way out. 
and part of the reason he retired was so the Bucks would potentially dra- uh, uh, you know get rid of his contract, and then Brady would sign with the Dolphins and potentially potentially become a part owner of the organization. The Bucks basically called him on his bluff, and he really had no other choice. There was no better opportunity, so he returned to Tampa. Um, but he doesn't have a starting center. He went down. Gronk. I'm I'm still skeptical. I think Gronk's coming back. He just doesn't want to participate in training camp. I think he'll be back midway through the season. But as of right now, Rob Gronkowski is retired. Um, you know, I know they brought in Julio Jones, uh, but Brady clearly didn't want to be there. Um, we know what happened in 2019 with the Miami Dolphins. Things are just kind of weird right now with him. You know, we've never really seen this before. You know, Tom Brady is is taking off half a training camp and then you have the Patriots who are not practicing anywhere near what they did in years past. The no days off thing seems to have gone out the window. It's odd. Everything has been very strange since these two left. And I I don't know what Brady's up to right now. Um, Perhaps it is a family matter. Um, But if not, you know, I don't know what it is. Now the, the, the Bucks at least, at the very least, for public relations reasons, uh, basically said, uh, no, we talked about this before training camp. Um, This was something that was planned. But if that were the case, why did we just find out about this? Wouldn't we have known that before training camp or right when training camp started that, hey, Brady's going to take some time off. He doesn't really need to learn the playbook or anything. Um, He just wants to build some keen chemistry with his receivers and with his O-line, and then he's going to take a little bit of time off and return at the end of training camp. That would make some sense, but this did seem like an abrupt departure, and I'm really not sure. So let me know in the comments below, why do you think Tom Brady is taking this time off? Um, you You know, is it just personal family reasons, or do you think there's something else going on here? Do you think there's some sort of fallout with the Bucks organization? Do you think Brady is just drained from you know 20 plus years of football and wants to take this time off um is he pursuing some sort of business venture we don't know but let me know what you think um i'm curious to hear that uh but that'll be it for today's episode of breaking brad um i'll be returning early next week until then take care